All right. Let's pray for the word tonight. Father, we give you thanks for your word. Thank you that we receive revelation from you tonight. I pray, God, that that what we talk about would give you glory. And, Lord, that it would be something that would seep into our spirits and that we would gain from it. We give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One thing I know, and that is God's purpose, His plan, it will be accomplished. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 46. I really love this passage of Scripture. The Lord said, this is verse 9, Isaiah 46, 9. He said, remember the former things of old. Now, a few chapters before that, he said, remember not the former things. You look all that up in the Hebrew language, and in chapter 43, he's saying, he's saying, don't remember the things of men. In this chapter, he's saying, remember the things of God. Okay, he said, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. The only reason there is an end is because he declared the beginning. You realize that, right? I mean, we're going to get to the end because he declared the, when he declared it already. That's why the beginning was there. It says, And from ancient times, the things that were not done yet, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country, yea, I've spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I purposed it. I will also do it. I really like that passage. He said, I am going to do what I said I'm going to do if I have to bring a ravenous bird or bring a man from the east. Now, he's talking in particular about what's getting ready to happen to, to Jerusalem. But, we, but, but he's saying, I'm going to do it. No matter what it takes, I will perform what I said. His word will come to pass. He will make sure of it. All right, he will see to it and do whatever it takes. Now, for a lot of people, that sounds like it seems like that we have no choice but to accept our lot in life since the plan is already in place. Now, the question is not whether God's word will come to pass. The question is whether I will be a part of it or not. Okay, his word is going to come to pass. The question is, what will I, where am I going to be? All right? The, the what is determined, the who is not determined. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 26, and it says this in other places, it says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord. It's His by right of creation. He made it. It belongs to Him. It's His by virtue of the fact that, that He sustains it. I mean, if He doesn't sustain it, it's not going to stay. It's His in light of the fact that eventually this, what I call the earth lease that He's given to man, is going to expire and He's going to reclaim it. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In the meantime, the scripture says he's given the earth to man and has given us the freedom of will and the freedom of choice. The scripture says in Psalm 115 verse 16, it says the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. So the earth God gave to man. Man gave authority over to Satan in the garden. Jesus reclaimed the authority to all those who will walk in it. Right? He, his promises, the fulfillment of his word, is always, always, always dependent upon our faith if we will believe what he has said. The scripture says this. It says, The word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That's in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. The word works effectually when we believe it. 
A lot of people don't believe what it says, and so it doesn't benefit them. There are a lot of people who know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but they've never believed it in their heart and acted on it, so it's not going to do them any good. All right, Three different times the New Testament declares that the Word is able. It's able. The word able is a derivative of the word dunamis, which means miracle power. The word contains the miracle power needed to see the promise of God accomplished. Amen. The word contains that, but it must be believed. We must receive it. So we've been looking at this text every week for the last several weeks. Mark chapter 9, verse 22 and 23. Jesus comes off the mountain of transfiguration. The disciples are trying to cast a demon out of the boy. They can't get the demon out of him. And so when they see Jesus come down, the guy runs to Jesus. And Jesus says, how long has it been going on? The guy tells him. And then the guy concludes his statement with, but if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. I just always think about that. If you can do anything, talking to Jesus, if you can do anything. I'm going to be honest with you. I've prayed that kind of prayer before. Oh, God, if you would just do something here. God, I just need you to do something here. And Jesus said, you say to me, if you can do anything, why all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. We've been talking about the supernatural. We've been talking about what God wants us to do. God's will and plan are supernatural. You realize that. What God's going to do in the end times is supernatural. What what he wants to do in our lives now, it's supernatural in scope. His plan is going to take a miracle. All right. In our text, the guy wanted Jesus to help his son. He wanted him. He really did want him. And he wished that he could do something. And he says, if you can help us. And Jesus says, if I can help you, if you can believe, all things are possible. So they're possible to those who believe. All right. So we've seen over the last several weeks, talking about entrance into the, the, the realm of the impossible. We've got to, number one, we've got to take control like David did over Goliath. We've got to take authority like Elijah did over the prophets of Baal. Mm-hmm. We've got to exercise authority like Joshua did over the sun and over the moon. I mean, we need to learn to expect God's authority to operate in our lives. We talked last time about, our time before last, about arising to mercy so that the miraculous can flow. Last time we talked about our maintaining the connection with the supernatural through repentance. So we're going to look at, at some more things here today. So Jesus says here in John chapter 5, verse 19, This is always interesting to me. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Verily, verily, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. We recognize the fact that Jesus said that he only did what he saw the Father do. He only said what he heard the Father say. If we're going to have success like Jesus had his ministry, we're going to need to do it his way, however he did it. If you, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he never had a ministry failure. Now, there was that one time he preached and everybody left. It wasn't a failure, though. It wasn't, it wasn't because he made a mistake there. He never prayed for one person to be healed that didn't get healed. Not one time. He never commanded one devil to be cast out that didn't leave. 
He never had. He only had success. And I know we have this thought, well, yeah, but that was Jesus, and he was the Son of God. It won't work like that for us. I just want us to think about this tonight. Jesus didn't think of it that way. He never told his disciples that the things he was doing, he was doing because he was the Son of God. In fact, he didn't call himself the Son of God until the very end of his ministry. He called himself the Son of Man. He made it very clear that what he was doing, he was doing as the Son of Man. The Bible says in Philippians that he divested himself of all of that heavenly uh, power and all of those things and became a man like as we are. And everything he did, he did as the Son of Man. Then he took those 12 guys and he discipled them so they would continue the ministry the same way that he did. And that's what he intends for us. He intends for us to be the same thing. The only thing that Jesus did that we can't do is he died for the sins of the world. We can't do that. But he, that's the one thing. He said in John, you know this verse, these verses in John 14, verse 10, he said, Verily, verily, I say to you that the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever everything he sees, uh, whatever he doeth, these so does the the son likewise verily i say unto you he that believeth on me the works that i do shall he do and greater works than these shall he do because i go to my father so jesus is clearly telling us that if we're going to operate in the supernatural realm like he did we're going to do it the way he did it and he's he's commissioning us to do that he wants us to do what he did the way he did it so what we have to learn how to do is to see and hear what the father is saying and doing Jesus said in John John 4, 24, he said, God is a spirit. So if we're going to connect with God to do the things that, that, that God, that Jesus did, we're going to have to connect on a spiritual level. We're going to have to learn how to hear and to see in the spirit realm. Here's the good news. You and I are spirit beings. We have a body. We live in the body. We have a soul, but we are spirits. We are spirit beings. We are able to connect to God on a spiritual level because that's the way he made us. It seems impossible, but God made us to be able to connect in the spirit realm. The word zoe for life, if you boil it all the way down, it has to do with connecting beyond the physical. Life is connecting to God beyond what is physical, and you and I have the life of God on the inside of us. Listen to these verses of Scripture. This is in John chapter 5. This is interesting. This is an interesting story, and you know the story. You've heard it before. It says, And after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now Jesus just, just dealt with the situation of the woman at the well, He's just healed a, a nobleman's son. And it says, and after this, he went up to Jerusalem. There was a feast. Now, there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. That is a terrible way to get a miracle. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, if you 
can't move very well, it's going to be hard to be the first one in the water. All right, you're going to have to be there on the day the angel stirs it up, and you've got to be the first one. Either you have to have an entourage hired to make sure that they hold everybody else back and you get pitched in first. I mean, that's a terrible way to get a miracle. And yet Christians, listen, Christians are wanting an angel to do something. They're wanting a man to do something just like this guy. He's waiting for an angel to stir the water. And he's waiting for a man to throw him in there. Listen, we need to we want the supernatural. We want the miraculous. We don't need the spectacular. Oh wow. We need the supernatural power of God. It says and a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. This is one of the greatest stories in all of the Bible. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had now been a long time in that case, and he said to him. Is this, this is one of the craziest questions ever. Are you ready to be well? Yeah, right. Good question. I mean, it's like, duh. 38 years. <laughs> Been here for 38 years. I mean, I just always try to picture this. There's a pool. All these sick people are there. There's probably a vendor or two there selling food to the sick people. I mean, you know, they probably have tents around for their families to hang out during the day. I mean, it's got this big communal thing, and they're out here, and Jesus walks up, and he asks the guy, are you ready to be made well? The impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. How hopeless is that? He's impotent. Of course somebody's going to beat him into the water. Unless he's the last one and he's the only one to get there. Of course, that's not. He's, Jesus didn't say. Now, do you have somebody to get you in the pool? Because I can wait right here with you and I can throw you in the pool. He asked him, Are you ready to get well? Are you? In other words, Jesus didn't say, I'm here to heal you. He said, Are you ready to get well? And the guy gave him the wrong answer. And Jesus, I love this. He says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He's at the crossroads right now. He could say, yeah, but I'm impotent. I still don't have anybody. This is this guy's opportunity of a lifetime. Are you ready to get well? Well, I can't because nobody put me in the water. And Jesus just gave him a command. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Now, here's my question. When does the impotency leave him? Before he gets up? Or as he gets up? It's as he gets up. As he obeys the word of God. And it says, and immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. That's, you know, saying Jesus did it on the wrong day right there. (laughs) This is an amazing story on lots of levels here. First of all, the guy. I mean, he, (laughs) I think I've prayed for this guy more than one time in my life. (laughs) 
You know, you... <laughs> I preached a whole sermon on confession one time. The words of our mouth. And this lady came to me and she said, I can't ever get rid of my cancer. She's, of her cancer. her cancer. She just told me everything I told her not to say. <laughs> she claimed the cancer as her own. She said, my cancer. She said, I can't ever get rid of it. And I said, well, what do you want? And she said, I want you to get rid of it. And I told her I couldn't do it. I said, what do you want? Are you ready to get well? See, I think, I think most, on that level, a lot of people are more comfortable with their suffering than they are being with, than they're with, being with facing the fear of change. If I change, what happens if it doesn't work? Jesus said, take up your bed, rise, take up your bed and walk. What happens if it doesn't work? Well, you're just back where you were. I mean, that's all. That's one of the way I've always seen that. Was, I mean, I kind of have thought that way before. It's like, all right, as long as I don't attempt it, I've still got hope. But what if it doesn't work? Then, then, then there's nothing left. Whatsoever. That's right. Yeah. So I will never attempt it. And so, so the answer to so the answer to the question then is no, I'm not ready. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. But Jesus said, "Are you ready?" Are you ready? Well, there's not a man. Jesus didn't ask about a man. Are you ready? Now, here's this is where I want to go tonight, though. Jesus goes to this pool. It is crowded with sick people. Crowded with sick people. Now, if I'm Jesus, it's a whole different story. Because I'm going to do... I'm going to do the Catherine Kuhlman thing. And I'm just, going to, I'm just going to wave my hand. And they're all going to get well. But Jesus went to one guy. One guy. Why didn't he go to all of them? Because he said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. To do anything other than what the Father said is a failure. Anything. Most preachers today, if they came there, number one, they'd set up a platform. They'd get them a worship band, a crusade team, maybe a fog machine. <laughs> And let's get the atmosphere right. Let's get it all right. And then we'd preach to all of those people. And only one would get healed. That'd be a failure. Doing a healing crusade for all those people and only one gets healed. (laughs) Jesus never had a failure. If he had seen the Father preach to the whole crowd... He would have done that. And there are situations where Jesus, where the whole crowd got healed. But in this case, only one got healed because he only saw the Father heal this man. 
That's where we have to be when we're talking about the supernatural. we got to do what the Father says, not what we want to do. Because what we want to do sometimes is not what the Father said for us to do, or we can see him doing. He said, I can do nothing of myself. If we're going to do it the way Jesus does it, we're going to have to see and hear when we need to build the platform and preach to the crowd and when we need to go to the one man and ask the one question. And that information is only available in the Spirit. It's only there. Mark 11. This is verse 11. This is when, I, when you when you read about Jesus. Sometimes it's, it's a little different than we think. It says in verse eleven of Mark eleven, and Jesus entered into Jerusalem, and into the temple, and when he looked around upon all things. Now eventide was come. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. He spent the whole day looking around. That's what he did. He just was looking around the whole day. I mean, for me, that'd be a tough one to look around and not do anything about it. Just looked around. He he was just looking around there. Most preachers today get frustrated with the corruption that Jesus saw. They'd write their congressman, start a blog, do something, organize some kind of protest. Jesus just looked around. He just looked around. Or what most preachers would do is see a problem is too big and expect there was nothing that could be done anyway and leave with that hopeless feeling. Jesus didn't do anything that day. But he spent the first day looking around. We know from other passages of Scripture that Jesus' habit was to get up early in the morning a great while before day and spend time with the Father. He looked around, but he was smart enough to know to not do anything today. And you know it bothered him. I mean, it it bothered him a lot because he's going to town the next morning and that fig tree smarted off to him. (laughs) And he said, no man eat fruit from thee thee hereafter forever, and it died. He He got to the temple, and this is what it says. And they came to Jerusalem. Jesus went to the temple. This is verse 15. And began to cast the, cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught them, saying to them, Is it not written, My house should be called a house of all nations, the house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. This day he came to town. And he didn't just look around. Killed a fig tree on the way in. He saw all, because he spent time in prayer that day, that night, that morning. I mean, in Matthew it says, not only did he drive the merchandisers out, not only did he teach them, but it says, he healed the blind and the lame. So this day Jesus goes into town. He The same thing is going on this day as yesterday. But why didn't yesterday he deal with this stuff? Because he hadn't heard from the Father yet. 
It would have been a disaster had he done it the day earlier. It wouldn't have worked. But he went that day. Started turning tables over. You know, when you watch the movies about Jesus and he's this pale, frail, white guy with blue eyes. <laughs> that isn't the Jesus of this day. I mean, they didn't have they didn't have uh, furniture that was that was that was plated with anything. It was solid wood furniture, and he's flipping it over, and he's driving these people out with the whip. He at least was tough enough acting that they got out of his way. I mean, he drove them out. He wouldn't even let them carry a vessel across the floor. He got them out of there. Then he taught the people. And apparently he was teaching them about prayer because he talked about this being the house of prayer. And he healed the, the blind. He healed the lame. He did all that. But he didn't do it yesterday because he didn't see the Father do it yesterday. And he had to get in a place where he could hear what the Father had to say. If we want the miracles in church, we're going to have to find out what did the Father say. And we can't be assuming anything. We've got to find out what does the Father want me to do? What do I need to be doing? You see, he only did that way. He had to get instruction. See, if we're going to do it Jesus' way, we've got to hear the voice of the Spirit. And when we hear the voice of the Spirit, we'll know when to whip and when to watch. And they may not be the same day. That's how the miraculous works. So how, how, how do we do all that? I ran across this scripture. This is in Proverbs chapter 19. This is in the easy to read version. I don't use that version very much, but I ran across it here. Proverbs 19 verse 2. It says, being excited about something is not enough. You must also know what you're doing. Don't rush into something or you might do it wrong. People ruin their lives with the foolish things they do and then they blame the Lord for it. Because they get in a rush to do something. The New Living Translation says, Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at the Lord. Here's what happens. We want the supernatural power of God to work. But we, do it, we don't wait for his implicit, explicit instruction. And then when it doesn't work, we get mad at God. And we say, The Lord didn't do it. The Lord didn't heal me. The Lord didn't make it happen. You see, we get excited about doing something for God, then we do it, and it doesn't work. It's like, well, God, why'd you let me down? And then the problem is you do that once or twice, and you never do anything else for God because it didn't work one time, two times, or three. Man, I heard one preacher call it, he called this the MTF syndrome, moving too fast. Sometimes we just move too fast. It's not enough to get the what from God. We have to get the when from God. Can you just see Jesus looking in that temple? All that stuff is going on. He knew the what. And he, this is what real meekness is. He had to let the, the Lord hold the reins and hold him back. Because that's what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. It is power that is restrained. And Jesus, you know, you know he wanted to stop them from doing all that stuff. You know when he's at the pool of Bethesda, he wanted to heal all of those people. You know that's what he wanted to do. 
but he couldn't do what he hadn't seen the Father do. He couldn't get ahead of God. You see, some things require immediate action. Other things require planning and preparation. All things require the leading of the Holy Spirit. we got to let him lead us. And there are people. I remember when I first got filled with the Spirit, I used to get frustrated because I felt like I wasn't a very good witness to people. You know, and I thought what that meant was getting the four spiritual laws and buttonholing people and trying to get them saved. Then I asked the Holy Spirit which ones to go to. I just went to anybody. Found out not most of them didn't get saved. We tried to argue and convince people and let them know my argument was better than theirs. And, and, And what happens is people just get constantly rejected and eventually they quit doing that. I mean, I bet in this room we've got people who went in the bathroom at a restaurant and put the four spiritual laws, rolled it up in the toilet paper. So when people pulled it off, they you know, had to find the four spiritual laws in there. If you didn't, you missed out on a whole spiritual upbringing that you needed. But what we need to know is how to be led by the Spirit. Yes. Most Christians, their lives are trial and error. That's better than doing nothing, by the way. Just at least we're doing something. But we, we, we need to we need to try. We need to learn how to feel, not feel, to hear the voice of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. We must learn how to to truly be led by the Spirit. You know, I mean, I know most people when they say, "Well, I just don't feel led," that just means I don't want to. Uh-huh. But we need to learn how to really be witnesses. The Bible doesn't ever say go witnessing. It says be witnesses. Whatever that means, however that is, all right. We, we, we need to, you know, we need to do what the Bible says to do. The Scripture says this in Romans eight verse six. It says, "For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace." We need to be spiritually minded. That means the mind must somehow be focused on spiritual things. Now understand, if you're driving your car, you, you're going to have to be minded about what's going on in the street. But I'm talking about when we're praying, we're trying to hear the voice of God about the circumstances, we've got to be spiritually minded. What this is talking about is connecting with, the Lord, what, with what the Lord is saying and doing in the spirit realm. Learning to do that. It's a matter of yielding the mind to the things of God as opposed to the default setting of being carnally minded. <clears throat> I mean, it's amazing. Lord, I just need some answers about this situation. Man, I need to get my car washed. Why would, why would you think that? <laughs> or, man, we got a lot of dishes in the sink. We need to learn how to be focused spiritually. Spiritual mindedness is a matter of will and intent. Mm-hmm. Intending mm-hmm. to focus on the things of God. Telling my mind to stop thinking about the other things. You know, my, my personal prayer time is early in the morning. Uh, and it's amazing when I get up and I start praying. And, and I, I typically walk when I pray. And so I have a little path in our front living room. And so I'm walking and praying. And I can think about all kinds of things I need to do today. <laughs> think about going to the bank. I think about paying this bill, or I think about that, and I have to make myself, and I know you do the same, I have to make myself say, no, no, no. That's right. My focus is you. That's right. My focus is you. 
And I choose to focus on Him before I start focusing on all those things, that, that I, the miracle that I need or whatever. I choose to focus on Him. I choose that. It's a matter of my will. The Scripture says a few verses later in Romans 8, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The, the Amplified Bible says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Not all of the sons of God are led by the Spirit. But all those led by the Spirit are sons. We have to be led by the Spirit. Our lives are too busy. If we're too busy to pray, if we're too busy to get in the Word, if we're too busy to seek Him for His plan and His will, we're too busy. We need to have our minds focused on Him. Listen, most people that I know, even though they're Christians, are more conformed to this world than they have been transformed by the renewing of their mind. And the word transformed there literally means renovated, to have our mind renovated. All the old taken out, the new stuff put in. The scripture talks about that we're not mere men. We're not to operate that way. We're, we're supposed to set our affection on things above. Supernatural power is released when we do it Jesus' way. When we, we find the path in the spirit, when we do it the spiritual way. Think about these verses for a moment. This also is in Romans 8. It says, Likewise, the spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not how to pray as for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. That's a powerful statement because he makes intercession for saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good of them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. It's as we spend time with him Praying in the Spirit, getting in the Spirit, hearing from the Spirit. We're going to know the step to take. I may not know at that moment, but then I will take two or three steps and I'll know exactly what to do. Yeah. I'll be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I remember one, 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 one Sunday I was preaching at this church and, and I was preaching. And, and uh, it must have been a good sermon. I don't remember what I preached about. But the altar was full of people. So I went down to minister to these people. And I'd been praying in the Spirit for a long time before I got there that morning. And I, and I was getting ready to lay hands on this lady. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, at that second arrested me and said, don't touch her. And I looked at her. And all of a sudden, I saw the head of a snake. And I just said, something like, be blessed, and went to the next one. And I found out about her later that she had taken down lots of preachers. And that was her goal was to take down preachers. But see, I believe, honestly, if I had never prayed in the Spirit, I wouldn't have seen that. I wouldn't have known that. It's how we hear. We've got to get in the Spirit. When we partner with Him, allowing Him to pray through us, we open ourselves up to the wisdom of God. That's how it happens. It's by the wisdom of God we'll be in the right place at the right time, and the supernatural power can be released. When we're led by the Spirit, to the degree that from our spirit man we have a knowing what we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to do it. Man, I'll tell you, then we don't have to force anything. Don't have to force it. We're just in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Because we've prayed. We have the mind of God. We respond to what the Spirit says. 
we respond. I may have told this story before, but one day I was having tacos in Saltillo, Mexico, and we were at this place called Tacos Pastor. Well, I thought that was cool since I was the pastor of the church. I was having tacos there. <laughs> it, means, it, means, it, means, it means shepherd tacos is what it means. And so we were having goat tacos at this little place, and I'm there, and we're laughing and, and all that. And we'd, been, we'd spent a lot of time that morning praying in the Spirit. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, now go preach. And this place is on the square in Saltillo. And I looked at this guy that was my interpreter, and I said, okay, let's go. He said, what? I'm not through. And I said, we got to go now. So we went on this square, and we began to preach. I mean, there was a bunch of people on the square. And we knew, I knew that the Lord told me he wanted to heal the sick on this square. And so we began to preach about Jesus the healer. And I don't know, man, the Lord's, I was trying to hear what God was. Here's the problem with having an interpreter. You have lots of time to think. Because you talk, then he talks, and you can think while he's talking. And so while he was talking, I heard the Lord say to me, tell them that if I don't heal the sick, then we are liars. So I said, if Jesus doesn't heal the sick in this square, then we are liars. And my interpreter looked at me, and I said, say it. And he said it. And then this little man was on this cane, and he just came walking up to me. And uh, I, I, said, I said, are you ready to find out if Jesus is the healer? And he said, yes. And so we, I prayed for him, and I'll never forget, he had, he had this cane in his hand, and he began to stomp his foot, the one that was hurting and he looked at me and he said, where did the pain go? And I said, Jesus took your pain. You are healed. Well, by now I have everyone's attention in the whole square. Yeah. I mean, the, the policeman had already walked by about three times because it's illegal to preach there. And this guy, he, 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 he handed me his cane. And he said, I don't need it anymore. Uh-huh. And he walked off. I mean, walking off just like you or I would walk. I still have his cane, by the way. And there was a group of seven young men, tough-looking guys, sitting on a little wall. And I looked at them and I said, this same Jesus that just healed this man will forgive you of your sins. Are you ready for that? And those seven guys all gave their hearts to Jesus at that moment. And we were with a local pastor and he began, he took them to disciple. But, we, but that comes not because I'm smart, doesn't have anything to do with being smart. It has to do with being able to hear. But we have to tune into the Spirit. Tune into Him. Yes. And I, I understand when you're on a mission trip, it's a whole different dynamic and, 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 and different things are going on. But we need to know that we don't have to force it. But when He says do it, we do it now. Yes. If He doesn't say do anything, we don't have to do anything. We Listen, I'm not responsible for anyone's miracle. I'm not responsible for anything but me being in communication with God by the Spirit so that if and when He tells me to do something, I do it. The problem with most Christians is, number one, either they're not doing anything or they, they feel pressure to do something that God never told them to do. We can't do anything. See, we respond to the Spirit. The devil tries to pressure us. He pushes us. 
We have, and then we're, we're trying to put God to some foolish test. The Spirit leads us. We have to hear what He has to say. We respond to the Spirit. Respond to what He has to say. Eventually, as we practice and practice, we'll hear more and more clearly. And then all things work together for good as we do that. You see, that's the way Jesus did it. Yes. He always, always listened to the voice of the Father. Amen. And if God didn't tell him to do anything, he just watched. <laughs> but then when he got the word from God, Amen. he took action. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for the way that Jesus operates in the supernatural. We thank you tonight, God, that, that it's our privilege to operate in that same way. We can hear your voice. Your word promises us. Jesus, you said, my sheep know my voice. We know what to do. We're going to exercise our spirit man. We're going to hear what you have to say. Father, we thank you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.